Hello, everybody. Welcome to our week two edition of Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I am your host, Rich Slamini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. Thanks for stopping by again. We have certainly a lot to talk about. And we're in the second quarter. We're going to actually talk to some Jet players. Uh, and the subject will be their fiery new defensive coordinator, Greg Williams, whose coaching style has everyone walking on eggshells around one Jets drive. And this is a big week for Williams because, as we all know, uh, he'll be facing his previous team on Monday night, the Cleveland Browns. He went 5-3 and three as their interim coach last year and did a pretty good job uh, based on the way Freddie Kitchens is off to, the start he's off to in Cleveland. Uh, maybe the Browns should have hired Williams instead of Kitchens. But anyway, we're going to be diving into that in the second quarter. But before we get to that, let's rewind, as painful as it might be, and take a quick look at the Jets' loss to the Bills. And I'm going to shock everyone here because I'm actually going to take a half-full view of this. You know, I'm usually more on the cynical side, but I want to try to take a, a half-full look at this. And, you know, it was it was a bad loss. There's no question about it. When you're ahead by 16 on your home field, there is no excuse to lose a football game. And that was that was as bad a opening day loss as I've seen in a long time. But you know what? Let's keep it in some perspective. In the the way the NFL is now, September is like the new preseason. Teams don't play their starters much in the preseason. Some teams don't even play them at all. So you're going to, I think, in the early part of this season, in September, it favors the teams with the established coaches, the guys who are familiar with the system and have continuity. And I'll throw this out at you. The new coaches in the league were a 1-6-1 in Week 1. The only person who won was Matt LaFleur in Green Bay. Everybody else lost, and of course you had the Kingsbury tie in Arizona. One, six, and one for the new coaches, and I don't think that's a coincidence. These are the teams like the Jets with Adam Gase, new scheme, new personnel, and I think that's a disadvantage in the, uh, in the early going. And look, the Jets, their offensive line playing together for the first time, no continuity. Ryan Khalil, after the game was very accountable. He admitted that he made some mistakes, uh, mentally. You know, he just wasn't with the offense, was learning on the fly a little bit. I think they'll be more cohesive against the Browns and certainly going forward. I think another positive is Le'Veon Bell and Jamison Crowder, you know, the new additions on offense. They combined for 87% of their offense. I think that was encouraging. The defense had four takeaways. I looked this up in the Todd Bowles era which covered four years. They only had four takeaways in six games. So that was another positive. Uh, you know, look, there was a lot to be concerned about, too. There's the kicking mess, which the Jets think they've resolved again. They fired Corey Vedvik on Tuesday. They they signed Sam Thicken. We'll see if that's, to me, this is just another Band-Aid. I don't know if this is going to work or not. But the kicking mess was a concern. You know, Adam Gase's play calling, I thought, was unimaginative and uh, somewhat predictable. That was a bit of a concern. The corners, look, we've talked about this all summer. The corners were not good. They got exposed. C.J. Mosley's injury, I think he'll be okay for Monday night. But certainly the defense did not respond well when he went out. So, there's certainly things to be concerned about, but let's not group this team in with last year's Jets just yet. Last year's team didn't know how to win. They didn't know how to close games. They blew four fourth-quarter leads. And granted, this was ugly. 
last Sunday against the Bills. It was ugly, but uh, it's not a trend yet. I, I still want to see more before I raise the red flag and hit the alarms and do all that sort of stuff. Now, that's my take there. Now, let's look ahead to the Browns. This this is a fascinating game because Cleveland, as bad as people are reacting in New York, it's probably 10 times as more desperate in Cleveland because there was so much hype going into the season. This was a Super Bowl team, people are saying, and they just get waxed by Tennessee. I mean, they really got hammered by Tennessee. They lose that game 43 to 13. They commit 18 penalties for 182 yards. The most penalties for them in 68 years. Now you're covering a lot of bad Browns football in 68 years. They were a mess, but so this is a team, you know, really two desperate teams squaring off on Monday night on ESPN. And so what I think the Jets can do here, I think they can get pressure against a very weak Cleveland offensive line, which allowed five sacks. I think the Jets have to use more play action. Darnold had only six passes out of play action against Buffalo. I think you want to try to do that against Cleveland because Marcus Mariota ripped them apart with play action passes. He was 6 for 10, 170 yards, and three touchdowns with play action. Hello to the Jets and Adam Gase. Use play action against Cleveland's defense. I think they need to attack Greedy Williams, their rookie corner from LSU. He does not tackle well. That was the knock on him coming into the draft. I think if you can get Le'Veon Bell on the edge, you could get some yards there in the running game. Williams, he plays soft. 7.2 yards average cushion per play last week, according to the next-gen stats. I think you could do some stuff there. Uh, I'd want to get Ty Montgomery involved. Get him involved in the offense. You want to play smart. If Cleveland's going to be that undisciplined a team, Just let them make the mistakes, play a clean game, let Cleveland make the penalties. Uh, You know, those are the different ways I think the Jets can attack Cleveland, but this is a tough game for the Jets. How are they going to cover the watch model? We know, talking about OBJ, Odell Beckham Jr., who's apparently going to wear his watch, $190,000 watch again on Monday Night Football. So how are they going to cover him and Jarvis Landry and Njoku, the tight end? That's a big, big problem for the Jets. I wouldn't be surprised if Cleveland comes out in a no huddle, spreads them out, and just has Baker Mayfield start firing away. That would be my way to go after the Jets. I mean, the Bills did it early in the game, and they had a little success early on. So if they could do it, imagine what the Browns could do. So I think the Jets are going to have big problems also blocking that Cleveland defensive line, Miles Garrett, Olivier Vernon. Tough, tough matchup for the Jets, and I hate to say it, but I think Cleveland's going to win this game. I really do, just because of the desperation factor and that matchup. It's all about matchups, and that is not a good matchup for the Jets trying to cover those wide receivers. That is the end of the first quarter. And welcome to the second quarter. We call this the Green Room, and we're going to do something a little bit different this week. The Jets have a really interesting matchup on Monday night. Facing the Browns, their defensive coordinator, Greg Williams, was with the Browns the last two years, first as the defensive coordinator and then as the interim coach. And this is a sexy matchup, as they say in the business. I think Williams has already made an impact on the Jets' locker room mentality on defense. I think the players are buying in. He's a strange cat. He is super intense. So I talked to a bunch of defensive players about Williams, his mentality, 
just his whole culture that he's trying to bring to the Jets who definitely need a culture shakeup. So I started with Jordan Jenkins, the linebacker, and I asked Jordan what it's like to sit in a Greg Williams meeting. Uh, loud, intense, and uh, nobody sitting, nobody slouching, everybody's attentive, and uh, everybody just, everybody focused and ready to learn, but by no means is it a happy-go-lucky meeting. Like, we know we're dialed, dialed in, and it's business. Ain't no, uh, ain't no, like, we'll, we'll laugh every now and then, but it's, it's been as soon as we walk through the doors. What happens if you get caught not paying attention or slacking off? Oh, you know, Greg probably gonna chew you out, you know, say a few words that'll get your attention. None personal, but you know, just gotta use selective words to make sure you focus in. Something tells me that most people are definitely paying attention in that room. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You don't get a lot of guys not paying attention in there. Yeah. Next, I talked to defensive end Henry Anderson, and I asked him, have you ever experienced the wrath of Williams? Have you ever been on the receiving end of any of his barbs, any of his... Uh, Yeah, a couple times, which I never really like getting called out in front of the the defense, so try to... uh, when When I do get called out, I do my best not to let it happen again. Players tell me that Williams is big on using visual aids for motivation. One of his favorites is he likes to show pictures of lions, also video of lions moving in a pride and a pack and also attacking other animals in the jungle. It sounds kind of graphic, but he's trying to send a subliminal message to the players. And I asked Rontez Miles, their safety, I asked Rontez, what is the ideal Greg Williams football player? Sheesh, man, it's intense playing for uh, G-Dub, Coach G-Dub as we call him. Uh, he expects he expects the best. He expects nothing but the best. Um, and you got you to gotta put it all on the line every day. He want to know that you care enough to come out here and, and run, jump, hit, tackle, scratch, pinch. Whatever you got to do to get your job done, he, he, make, he makes it clear that that's what he wants done. There's no... Second to none, there's no, oh, I couldn't get it done or nothing. It's, it's real demanding, and at the same time, it makes everybody better. It keeps everybody on their toes, man. What if he had caught daydreaming and he calls on you and you don't know the answer? Uh, I wouldn't want to be him. I wouldn't want to be that player, man. And uh, like I said, it's hard to it's hard to daydream yeah. or take your eyes off him or the screen when he's teaching. Like, he, he's very intense, and he brings a lot of energy to his presentation, so it's, it's hard to even daydream. Does the team feed off that, and can that tra- that becomes the personality of the defense? I believe so, man, because it's expected. It's not. It's, it's a standard. It's, it's a set standard, and uh, everybody's held accountable. The elder statesman on the defensive side is Steve McClendon, the nose tackle. He's 33 years old. He's a captain. He is uh, respected in the locker room. He's played for a lot of different coaches. He started his career with the Steelers. We've been with the Jets for a few years. And so we're talking about some of the the stuff, how Williams can be extremely critical of the players. But I wondered, and I asked Steve, I go, what about positive feedback? There must be some positive feedback too, right? Definitely, man. Like, he's an all-around good coach, great coach. Uh, man, just, just understand that he demands greatness. He don't just ask for it. He don't just want it. He demands it. He demands everything. And, and that's good, man, because you can tell what kind of leader he is by – by him standing up there every day and holding us accountable. In what way? 
just by doing the necessary things to help us win on Sundays and Mondays and whatever day we play. And you, any player who plays for him needs a thick skin, right? Do you, I mean, you can't be sensitive to criticism. Right, right. I mean, I, I feel like that's with any coach, uh, to be honest, but but most definitely Greg. I mean, like I said, he's not saying it out of to to try to hurt you. He's just trying to get, get his point across and help you understand that he wants you to be better on absolutely every single play. All right, you heard from the players on Greg Williams. Uh, we'll hear from Greg later in the week when he speaks to the media. I don't think he's going to come out and say this is a personal revenge game against the Browns for not hiring him as their full-time coach. I think he'll keep them that to himself, but you know deep down he's burning. He's a very, very competitive guy. He's got a type A personality. He wants this one badly, and I think the Jets have a bit of an edge there. He knows the Browns personnel very, very well. He knows the type of throws that Baker likes to throw from the pocket, what he likes to do outside the pocket. So I think that intimate knowledge from a schematic scheme standpoint will help the Jets in this game. Not enough to—I don't think they're going to win the game, but boy, it's going to be fascinating chess match to see Greg going up against Freddie Kitchens, the offensive play caller for the Cleveland Browns. And that, folks, is the end of the second quarter. And welcome back. This is the third quarter of the Blind Side. You guys can try to blindside me with some questions on Twitter. My favorite segment here because we always get some really good questions. And I I was just reading through my Twitter timeline. Boy, the fans are fired up after the Bills game. And uh, a lot of angst among Jet Nation right now. Uh, some high hopes coming into the year. And 0-1 is never good. But uh, there's plenty to go. And so let's just jump right into the questions. Um, the first one comes from at Mike underscore Goomba. Should we go all out for Trent Williams? Uh, Mike, it's not going to happen. They're not going to trade for Trent Williams. A couple of reasons. They like Kelvin Beecham at left tackle. He actually played well. He was their highest graded offensive lineman in week one. And secondly, his salary is now guaranteed for the year. So it's $8 million. He's not going anywhere. They're not trading for Trent, uh, Trent Williams, who is a terrific player in his own right. Uh, second question comes from at Wallace the Kraut. With Gase playing Bell so much, do you think he's going to try to squeeze every dollar out of that contract at the expense of a balanced attack with Ty Montgomery? And, you know, this is a great question. Uh, for those who don't know this, Bell played every snap on Sunday, all 67 offensive snaps. Only two starting running backs in the league did that in week one. The other was Christian McCaffrey from the Panthers. I knew Bell would play a lot. I was surprised he played every snap, and frankly, I, I don't know why he did. I mean, you don't play your number one running back every down. You're going to run him into the ground, and Ty Montgomery is a capable uh, back. We saw it in the preseason. He did some nice stuff and he only played five snaps on Sunday. So yes, I, this was almost like Gase saying like, I'm going to show you guy, you know, you guys wanted to sign Bell. We know Gase wasn't on board with it. Well, you guys wanted to sign him. Here he is. We're going to play him a lot. You can't keep, you can't continue at that pace because he'll be done. He'll be done by November. Uh, next question. At Sarkey520, can you explain to me why the Jets are incorporating a holdback conservative approach on offense? Uh, good question. I mean, it was somewhat conservative. I was expecting a really a more aggressive, dynamic attack with 
Adam Gase calling the shots and calling the plays. Uh, it was not that against the Bills. I think one of the reasons why was the, the pressure. Darnold was under pressure 33% of his dropbacks, and that was uh, ranked 26th in the league. So he was getting a lot of pressure. Uh, you know, So that obviously influences your game plan and uh, the play calling. But I, I want to see more from Gase and Darnold. How about rolling him out a little? Put him on the move. Darnold is at his best when he's on the move, throwing on the run. That would give him bigger windows to throw with. We saw him get five passes knocked down at the line of scrimmage. That's unacceptable. Move the pocket. That'll eliminate some of those knockdown passes. Next question comes from at 0215TB. Should Jet fans be worried about Sam Darnold's long-term future after his performance on week one? Come on. It's week one. No. He's 22 years old. He's only started 14 games in his career. He wasn't even that bad. You know, by the way, he's gone 155 straight pass attempts without an interception going back to last year. No, it was not his greatest game. But come on, let's not worry about his future just yet. At Vinny Petty, uh, were the issues with the passing game more relative to the Bills' defense or was Gase not calling enough creative plays or making adjustments? Could the up-tempo offense have backfired with the time of possession and finding rhythm with the dink and duck approach. And as I just alluded to a little bit earlier, um, you know, the knock on Gase in Miami was that he was a dink and duck coach. And, you know, that's not going to cut it in the NFL. You got to take some shots downfield. They only took four shots downfield. When I say shots, I mean more than 20 yards. Darnold was 0 for 4 of those passes. So I'd like to see a couple of more shots, and you also have to execute the plays. You know, they had a touchdown to Robbie Anderson. He tripped coming out of his break. It probably would have been a touchdown. Okay, next question. At Anthony Mazza RD, do you expect the horrendous Tremaine Johnson to be around next year? Uh, Anthony, I don't think so. Now, they're going to have to eat a substantial amount of guaranteed money here on this contract. I think it's $8 million next year. And they also cannot make him a June 1st cut in 2020, uh, which would be perfect because it would help lessen the salary cap hit. But they can't do it in 2020 because it's an uncapped year. And under the CBA, there's no such thing as a June 1st cut. So if they cut him after the season, they're going to have to take a massive cap hit next year. But if he keeps playing like this, I think they'd have to do it. And my last question comes from at notorious underscore Alps. <laughs> this is this is emotional here, this question. When will they stop sucking? I've been a fan since the 70s. It's really frustrating and emotionally draining. Notorious, I feel you, man. You get your hopes up for six months. You're reading all these positive reviews. The coach is talking great stuff. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And they go out. And they blow a 16-point lead to Josh freaking Allen. I mean, Josh Allen, who should have had five picks in this game, the Jets blow a 16-point lead. You have a right to be upset. But let me just tell you, it's only week one. Hang out. Chill out. There's a long way to go. That is the end of the third quarter. And we tie things up here before we send you off into the rest of the week. 
And, uh, you know, I just want to tackle a couple of different issues this week. Uh, one, I want to update you. I mentioned this a couple of podcasts ago that we have a very, very competitive roster pool among the beat writers. And uh, we now know the outcome of that. I managed to get in the money on this. I was surprised. I didn't think I was going to have a chance. But I actually tied with Matt Stapolsky from NJ.com, who does a fine job covering the Jets. We tied. And so we split the pot. So this is two years in a row I've been in the money. It's Believe me, it's shocking to me. Uh, we only had, I think, 42 out of 53 guys. But as I told you in the original podcast, this was going to be a really hard year picking the roster, and it was. So 42, not too shabby. So anyway, one thing I want to rant about a little bit, you know, a lot of publicity earlier in the week on Adam Gase Monday was, you know, he was pretty critical of some different units on the team. I just think that it got a little out of control, some of the coverage of it. I mean, I don't think he was throwing players under the bus, clearly criticizing some units, offensive line, the cornerbacks, the defense in general, the wide receivers. I mean, to me, it was obvious criticism, and we all knew about it. Uh, so it's it's kind of a dicey situation as a reporter because we were critical of Todd Bowles because he never said anything. He was cliches, and he really didn't seem to have much energy, and he wouldn't say anything provocative. So Gase comes in. He's very provocative. He's brutally honest, and, you know, he's getting ripped for that. So I, I think it's kind of unfair in that sense, and I don't think he was really calling out players. He didn't call out players by name. I mean, I remember once covering Bill Parcells. You know, he came out in training camp one time, and he said, our so-called superstars need to play like superstars. And we knew who exactly who he's referring to, guys like Keyshawn Johnson and, and Curtis Martin and Vinny Testaverde. And so, I mean, that's calling out guys. But Parcells had enough clout that he could do it. Maybe Gase doesn't have that much clout because he really hasn't done anything in the NFL except one playoff appearance with Miami. But uh, I don't think he was doing that. I just think he was stating the obvious and, and you know, sharing some criticism with, with the media. The one concern, though, out of all this – He's got to be fair when he does it. I thought he was protecting Darnold. You know, after the game, he made a cryptic comment about Darnold needing room for improvement. He backpedaled on Monday, and he said, well, after watching the tape, I thought everything, you know, it was better than I originally thought. Got to be careful there. That could be a little bit of a slippery slope. When he was in Miami, he was overly protective of Ryan Tannehill, and I think some players in the locker room came to resent him for that. You know, maybe Gase feels like, hey, I got to sit with this guy in a meeting room for five hours every day. I don't want to be critical of him, but you have to look at the public perception. If you're criticizing guys, everyone has to be in there, including yourself. He should have said something like, I take responsibility too. It's coaching and playing. He didn't say that either. So that, that bothered me a little bit. And also I thought he was protective of Darnold. Again, this could be just an isolated incident. You don't want to make that a trend because all of a sudden guys in the locker room, it's like, oh, he's protecting the quarterback. You don't want your quarterback perceived as a teacher's pet in the locker room. So that's my only quibble. It's not a huge thing. Fair criticism for everybody and also show some accountability. I think if he does that, I think there's nothing wrong with calling guys out. We're not playing well. I mean, that's the head coach's job. That's the accountability that we've been writing about all summer. Greg Williams does the same thing in meetings. He calls guys out. That's the new era of the Jets that we've been hyping so much. So get used to it. 
I don't think Gase was wrong by doing it. He's just got to be careful about how he incorporates everyone in there. So really, that was my only thing I wanted to say about that. That's the end of the show. I just want to thank producer Jeff Scopin again for putting this all together. Flight Deck is available wherever you download and listen to your podcasts. Please give us a listen. Subscribe to us. We're just getting into this. We're only two weeks into the season. There's so much good stuff to come. This is a huge game for the Jets this week. I hate the phrase must win because it's week two, but it's really important for both teams. If the Jets are 0-2, they're going to New England next week. That, to me, is going to be almost impossible to win. So then you're 0-3 in your bye week, so that's a miserable bye week. Then you, you come out of your bye week, and where do you go? You have to go to Philly and play. So they could be looking at 0-4. Uh, I mean, like I don't want to go that far down the road yet. They could really turn this thing around with a big win on Monday night against the Browns. That does, that's what they need. But the Browns are feeling the same way. They're just as desperate. So that's going to make it a really, really interesting game. Thanks again for stopping by. We'll be back next week. Just remember, when it's fourth down, don't punt. Go for it. 